Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here and for worshiping with us today. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us here today as well. Glad you're, glad you're here. Now, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible today, don't worry. Hopefully you received the little handout on the way in here. It has the passage we're going to be looking at today. It's printed there for you so that you can follow along with us. Now, for several weeks, we've been going through... Jesus' great teaching um, that is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest and most famous sermon of all time. And no sermon has had greater impact in the world than this sermon. And for you to read through the Sermon on the Mount, it would probably take you about 10 to 15 minutes to read through it. But it's so rich in its meaning. We've been taking a shorter amount of time looking at different parts of his sermon so that we can get the most out of it and allow it to really truly impact our lives just as it has many people's lives throughout history. And today we're going to be coming to a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he teaches on the subject of prayer. In fact, this teaching from Jesus on the subject of prayer is his greatest teaching on the subject of prayer. And yet it, is, it comes to us in the simplest form. Jesus gives us this short little prayer that we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, Jesus didn't call it that. It wasn't here his prayer. In fact, it was more of a, a, a prayer for his followers. So it's really more the followers' prayer. Here's a prayer because he's teaching us how to pray. And it's a terrific prayer. And it's a terrific study today because in this passage, Jesus answers the question, how do you pray? How do you pray? And this is a great question because there are people here, many people, who are saying, I'm not very comfortable with praying. I just wish I knew how to pray. Well, this passage will be very helpful for you because Jesus takes time to say, let me help you. Let me teach you how to pray. Now, there's others of you here who are more comfortable praying, but at the same time, you're saying, I want to grow in my prayer life. And in the same way, it's so fortunate for us, we get to come to this passage because we get to learn how to pray and also learn how to grow in our prayers. In his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, Andrew Murray um, makes this very telling statement. Let me read for you what, what he says. He says this, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. He did not speak much of what was needed to preach well, but much of praying well. To know how to speak to God is more important than knowing how to speak to man. Not power with men, but power with God is the first thing. Jesus loves to teach us how to pray. Isn't that great? I remember reading that uh, book when I was in graduate school and just saying to myself, okay, God, you're preparing me for ministry. Help me to be someone who doesn't just speak for you, but be someone who speaks to you. Will you teach me how to pray? And I'm so grateful that God, through Jesus, is interested in helping us understand how to pray. Because what prayer is, is communication with God. It's a connection with Him. And we desperately want that. We desperately need it in our life. And God is so gracious and kind through Jesus to say, let me teach you how. Let me show you how to pray. 
And so today we get to look at a passage where Jesus does just that. And what I want to do is just invite you to turn to the passage and, and read it with, with, with me as we, as we just enjoy the teaching from Jesus in this passage. So once you find the passage, I invite you to please stand. We're going to read it together. Um, we stand for, for God's word so we can, we can say, yes, Lord, we, wanna, we want you to speak to us today. So let me read it for you, then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. Beginning in verse 5 through 15, it says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of the many, their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Now, traditionally, the rabbis would give their followers a model prayer so that they could follow. And in the same way, Jesus gives us a model prayer, a prayer that we can follow so that we can know how to pray. And, and, this, and it's a wonderful thing. But before we look at the model prayer, what we have come to refer to as the Lord's Prayer, and before Jesus helps us understand how to pray, he also takes a moment to say, here's how not to pray. And that's the first three verses here. Verses five, uh, five, six, seven are about how not, and eight, are how not to pray. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that uh, Brian taught on this passage. And he did a fantastic job uh, teaching this. And so I'm not going to go into great detail, but I do want to just make sure that we get this framed in its context. Here's how to pray, but to be reminded, here's how not to pray first. And I'll give you just some prayer principles, and I'll take the the kind of the ways that we're not to pray, and I put them, uh, stated them positively for these principles for us to follow. So the first one that I want you to see is this, that we ought to pray regularly. We see that in this first verse. It says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. The emphasis here that I want you to see is when. Jesus' assumption is that we are practicing prayer that we're doing it, and that we do it regularly. And I know some of you are saying, well, I'm just still trying to figure it out. Great. The best way to figure it out is to do it regularly, is to say, God, I want to set some time aside. Lord, I want to practice. I want to do this regularly. Any one of us who wants to grow in a habit or a skill, we have to do it regularly. This is the encouragement and the challenge for us here that Jesus points out. Now, the second thing that a prayer principle that I want you to see is that we're to pray privately. Pray privately. And we see that in these two verses. It says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward 
in full. So not a show prayer, but more of a personal, private prayer. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the question that you might have is, well, does this mean that I can never pray in public? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's really talking about the motive. Are you praying in such a way to be seen by others, or are you praying in such a way as to connect with God? So when we pray privately, it's this recognition that God, sometimes I do need to close the door. So I'm not just focused on other things or other distractions. I'm focused on you, and there's a private part of it. But even if we're praying publicly, there's a point in which we say, God, this is a conversation between you and me. It's, it's not me having a conversation with the other people around me. And that's the show part. And instead, Jesus is saying, I want you to be on, interested in the connection part. And I remember this uh, moment that I had when I was a college student, and I was meeting with a college pastor at my church. And we, we stopped the conversation that we were in, and he said, let's take a moment and let's pray. And so we prayed. Now, at the end of my perfectly eloquent, beautiful prayer, the college pastor said to me, in, in just, you know, the most gracious and yet very truthful way, he said, Scott, let's pray again. This time, talk to God and forget that I'm in the room. And it stuck with me because it was a little embarrassing because I'd spent all this time thinking about how can I make this prayer sound so great for my college pastor's ears. And he just said, hey, wait a minute. You're here to talk to God, not me. Forget that I'm here. It's a private conversation with you and God. I'm just here to support you. And so guess what? I prayed again. It was a lot less eloquent, but it was real, and it was connecting to a real conversation with God. And so it stuck with me. And that's the whole idea there, that we would pray and say, God, I'm more, I'm more concerned about connecting personally, privately with you. That's the part of the conversation. There's the third, the third principle that I want you to see is pray sincerely. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. It says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the idea of praying sincerely is this, that a bunch of words that have no mind connection don't mean anything. He's saying pray with your mind and your heart. Connect with the words that you're saying. You don't have to say a lot of words. You don't have to keep on going on and on and on and on. Just pray sincerely. Pray from your heart. Make it a heart connection. That's the teaching of Jesus. And, and it's a helpful reminder for us to say, yeah, I need to have my brain engaged, my mind engaged, even when I pray, and I don't have to go on and on and on. Then he, the, the next prayer principle that I want you to see is this, that we're to pray specifically. And that's really the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus goes into, let me tell you specifically how to pray. Let me show you, let me teach you how to pray, and it's a great model prayer. But I'll also say this, when we look at this prayer, it's not only how to pray specifically, I want you to see how short it is. I love it. This passage is, this, this prayer is very, very short, and I don't want you to miss that, because in just a moment, I'm going to go in, and we're going to go into greater detail, and it'll take us a lot more time for me just to explain the richness of this prayer than it is for you to pray it. But I don't want you to miss the fact that it is a simple, short prayer. That Jesus is okay with specific and short prayers. You can be short and very specific at the same time. Do you know that? 
And that's good for us to hear. Sometimes when I'm in groups and I'm leading those groups and, and it's a time of prayer, I'll just remind everybody, including myself, hey, guess what? It's okay to pray sentence prayers and not paragraph prayers. Right? Sometimes a paragraph prayer is great, but it's okay to pray sentence prayers. We can be very specific and short. God hears it. That's what he's interested in. And it's okay to make those prayers short. In fact, Martin Luther, I love it. He's, he said prayer should be... Um, <laughs> what, what, I got I to look here because it's so... He said it needs to be... Martin Luther said it, prayer needs to be brief, frequent, and intense. And I love that. Brief, frequent, and intense. This, this, and that's what this prayer is that Jesus models for us. He shows us here's how that kind of prayer is and what it looks like. So look at it with me in verse uh, 9. It says this. This then is how you should pray. So he begins by saying, this then is how you should pray. Now, um, he's going to give us this model prayer, and it's okay to, to pray the model prayer that he gives to us. In fact, later when Jesus teaches on prayer again, later in his ministry, Luke records it, and Jesus says, um, pray like this. He says, pray these words. So it's okay to pray the words, but he's really also in this passage is saying, um, make, the, make this a model and the idea for us is this, that we, again, it's not that we're repeating a prayer repeatedly, hoping that it means something, but we're connected to it. That it's a sincere, um, heartfelt, connected prayer. So not that we're babbling on or it becomes a dry routine, but it becomes something that we pray. So this then is how you should pray. And then after he says this is how you pray, he gives us the prayer. And I'll just kind of overview it real quick for you. There's six requests that come to us in this prayer, in the, in the Lord's Prayer. There's three your requests, which are focused on God. And then there's three us requests that are focused on our personal needs. And you can break them into two different parts. I'll just show you the your requests in verses 9 and 10. If, you wanna, if you're a note taker, you can highlight or underline. These are the three requests. How will be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So these are the, the prayer requests that come focused on God. Then he turns and he says, here's the three us requests in the following verses. Give us today, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. Now, there is one more us, but this, this one right here really is two sides of the same coin. It's kind of looking at the same thing from two different perspectives. So it's really, again, three your requests, three us requests. And now we can, t now knowing that and kind of how it breaks down, Let's take a look at it together. Beginning in verse, uh, verse 9, it starts with the address. So before we get to the your requests, there is the address. And I highlight this because I want you to see um, what, he's, what Jesus is saying here. He says, um, he says, our Father in heaven. And I want to break down both parts of it. The first part, our Father. This is beautiful, that Jesus makes us, gives us the opportunity to make an invitation to God as our Father. That is very um, personal and intimate. That we have a caring father who wants to hear from us. Any new dad knows what this is like when you, you know, your child begins to babble. And then through the babbling, it gets to the point where they're like, dada, or papa, or baba, or whatever it is. The dad is thrilled. You're like, he's talking to me. He knows me. He's saying, he's saying my name. And this is the same way that God feels with us where he's anxiously waiting for us to talk to him, to connect with him. There's a personal father who wants us to call out to him in a personal way. That's, that's the beauty of it. And I love that. Now, at the same time I say our father, I know that some of you here, 
have had uh, challenging experiences with an earthly father. Perhaps you had a father who um, was, a ch- was challenging and harsh and hard. Or perhaps you had a father who was abs- absentee. Or perhaps you had a father who was in and out and in and out. And I just think that we have to be careful that we not take some of that negative baggage that we've experienced and put that on our Heavenly Father. Because we have a Heavenly Father who's not that way. We have a Heavenly Father who's there consistently. We have a Heavenly Father who cares deeply. And it's beautiful because Jesus says, come to a Father who's not fake, but who's real, personal, and cares for you. That's what we get to come to. But at the same time, there's the personal side of a a good father, but we also have a good father who's in heaven. That is, he stands above it all. That he's not just good, but he is great. That he is everywhere. That he is in charge of the heavens and the earth. That there's this greatness and this power to God. So you have the personal side and the powerful side of God. And it's just good for us to say, God, you're here, you're real, but God, you stand above it all. You are powerful. And both things are important for us to get because if we come to a God and address a God who's just caring but has no power, then we're like, how can you help me? Right? I think of it this way. If you have a car and it's broken down on the highway in the midst of a snowstorm, just imagine that. That's not a fun position to be in. You're broken down, snowstorm, icy, cold, and up comes behind you some headlights. You're like, yes, someone's here. Turns out to be an ice cream truck. (laughs) The driver rolls down the window and says, pretty chilly out here, right? You're like, yeah. How are you doing? I want to know how you're feeling. Can I care for you? It's like, I'm freezing. I'm freezing out here. That's how I'm feeling. And then the ice cream truck driver says, well, do you want some ice cream? No, I don't want ice cream. I want a tow truck, right? That's the kind of headlights you want. You want a tow truck that can come up because they have the power to get you moving and get out of the stuck, the stuck spot. And we need both sides, right? We need the care side, the personal side, but we need the powerful side. We have a God who can work and, do, and work in our lives. That's, that's the whole point. When we recognize who the God is that we're talking to when we pray, it can open up a whole bunch uh, of, of more for us uh, when we do pray. So that's the address. Then we go to the your statements. The first of the your statements is this, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, the problem with this part is we don't really use the word hallowed very much um, in our language today, but it is a beautiful word. The idea with hallowed is to set aside. And for the, the Hebrew mind, the culture there would be if there's something so important, so special, you'd set it aside because it is special and different. In our culture, though, today, we tend to say if there's something special and something wonderful, we want to put it front and center. That's kind of how our minds think. So the, to try to translate it to, to, in terms of our culture, instead of hallowed be your name, I'm setting you aside, God, because you're so special, it's more, God, you be front and center. So God, would you name be central in all parts of my life? Would your name be central in this whole world? That's the concept there. God, you're center. You're the center. And that's an important uh, orientation and understanding. So hallowed be your name. You be center. And this is important for us when we come to prayer because typically when we come to prayer, we're also thinking about who, who we want to have as the center of things and who's that. 
me. So we come to God typically like, God, here's the grocery list. Here's what I need you to do. Get on it now, right? This just frames things and says, oh, God, I'm not the sinner. You are. Hallowed be your name. You stand, you, you are, you're separate, you're aside. So I need to come with that orientation. God, you're first. And um, this is a great way to just recognize who he is and where he stands. Now, the next, the next part of the your request is this. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. This is an important part too, because then again, we have this sort of orientation within us, don't we? That we want to rule things. We want to be in charge. And this is just that reminder that God, you're king and I'm not. So I need to get out of the way so that you can rule. That is, Lord, I need you to rule in my heart. Lord, I need you to rule in this world. And Lord, I need to recognize that you ultimately will establish your eternal kingdom. And may that come and may it come soon. That's the idea, right? Lord, your rulership, your kingdom, your kingdom come here in my heart, here in this world, and here forever. That's the prayer that we recognize. God, you're in charge, not me. And with that, then, is the, the next part of the your statement, which is, which is your will be done. Again, not my will, God, but your will. Now, when we say the statement, well, your will be done, God, some of us have been, you know, had lots of moments in our life where we're like, well, what's God's will? And lots of people throughout time have, like, tried to come up with all sorts of goofy ways to figure out what God's will is, Right? And it's been, it's a great frustration or a great, you know, led them down really crazy paths. But the question is, well, what is God's will? Unfortunately for us, God doesn't leave us in the dark. He's given us his word so he can reveal to us his heart and his will in our life. Isn't that good news? Yes. And we have his word. And the question is, well, what's his will? And so what I want to do just for a moment, because I think it's so powerful for us to get, let me give you six ways that we can know for sure what God's will is from the scriptures, from the Bible. I can assure you from Bible study, from time, these are part of what it means to be in God's will. This is what his will is. So let me just give you a couple of your note taker. You can follow, you can kind of jot, jot these down. It might be helpful for you. The first one is this. We can know for sure from God's word that it is, it is his will that people be saved. It is God's will that people be saved. His, it is God's will that no one should perish. And so what does it mean to be saved? To be saved means to be rescued from our own uh, self-will and our own um, really self-destructive decisions in life. Our own selfish will, our own selfish and self-destructive decisions, God wants to save us from those things through Jesus Christ on the cross. This is part of God's will, that no one should perish, but that we would be saved. The second one is this, comes out of that, which that we would be set apart. Not just that we are saved, but then that we're set apart. And this is the concept from Scripture that helps us understand that we are uniquely designed by God. Each and every one of you is an original masterpiece. Do you know that? That God has designed you uniquely. You're the only you in the world. And God has given you and set you apart with a unique set of relationships in a unique place with a unique set of skills and unique opportunities to make a difference for him. He has set you apart. This is a beautiful thing. Anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ is an ordained minister of the good news. 
He has set you apart to be his ambassador, to be, uh, be a light for him in the places that only you can be that light, that only you can touch, the relationships that you can only meet. So you are set apart for his purposes and his use, and you're unique. Isn't that wonderful? This is part of God's will, that we should be set apart for his purposes and his plan. Then the third one, it is God's will that we should be serving. It is God's will that we should be serving. We are saved to serve, right? When God saves us, then he sets us apart, right? To say, now serve in my name. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, God, what are the ways that you've shaped me? Who are the people that you've placed in front of me? How is it that you want me to serve you best? And it's a continual discovery and it's a continual pursuit that we say, Lord, you've called me to serve. Who, how, when, where am I supposed to be serving? That's part of God's will for you in your life. The fourth one is this. You may not like it as much, but this one is this. It's true that we suffer. It is God's will that we suffer. Now you're saying, I'm not writing that one down. (laughs) And I understand that, but I assure you, it is still part of God's will. Why is that? Well, it's part of it because God is not just good and great to use the good stuff in our life productively, but he's big enough and he's great enough to even use the painful things in our life productively. And I know that for some of us, we say, it's just hard for me. I I just don't know how could a good God allow someone to suffer. Listen, have you ever heard of a guy named Job? Okay, then now you know. God can use suffering for his purposes and it can help us follow him and grow in him and develop character along the way. He is a good God and a great God that he even can use the challenging things in our life to accomplish his purposes in us. Here's the fifth one. That everyone would be submissive. It is God's will that we learn to be submissive, that we learn to yield. It's important for us to understand that God wants us to yield to him. But we're also to yield to others. That God has called us to be submissive. And this is a challenge for us because it says, well, it's not my will, God. It's your will. We submit to you. And we submit to the will of other people at times too. But it gives us a sensitivity. And guess what? It also gives us a very profound and powerful impact in this world that we we might not have otherwise achieved. And so there's something powerful there. Here's the sixth one. The sixth one is this, that we should be strengthened. This is good news, that God wants to strengthen us, that he wants to strengthen us in the inner person, then also to strengthen our uh, usefulness for him with the people around us. So he wants to shape our character, develop our character, strengthen us in our souls so that we can be salt and light in the world for him. We can strengthen and be uh, come alongside people, support people, be used by God in the world. These are all parts of, of God's will. Now, they all start with S, and there's nothing more spiritual about things that start with S, but it just helps me remember them, okay? So that's what it is. So just maybe you remember, but you're looking at that list saying, that's a lot of S's to remember. So can you simplify it? Let me just simplify Yes, I can. Let me simplify it for you, okay? If you're to just say one takeaway, if what, say, what is it that is God's will for me? One takeaway, how can you summarize it? It's this. Here it is. Ready? That you would trust Jesus Christ fully. It is God's will for you that you trust Jesus Christ fully in your life. 
God spoke from heaven on two different occasions concerning his son. And he said, he said, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And that listen to him is to say, yeah, God, I, I want to listen and trust Jesus. That's his will for you, to trust Jesus fully. So we say, okay, we want to say, God, your will be done. That is all these things, and your will be done in my life, which is I trust you fully, Jesus, with my life. Where is that to happen? It says, on earth as it is in heaven. So the point here is that we say, okay, God, um, not just your will in heaven, but your will in earth, just as it is in heaven, that we want it here, we want it now. And that's true with God's name being um, hallowed, with um, his, his kingdom, and with his will. We, need, we want it, and we need it, we need it here in our lives. Then that we move from the your statements to the us statements. It says, give us today our daily bread. This is now the shift where instead of the focus on God, the focus is on us. And I'm grateful for this because God recognizes that we do have needs and he invites us to come to him with our needs. Isn't that good news? That we get to come to God with the needs that we have in our life. We get to come to him with the basic fundamental needs. Give us our daily bread. Just give, me, give us our daily bread, God. I can come to you with these things. And it's beautiful. And what I love about this passage here in this, this verse is it says, give us today, um, which is a, it doesn't say in the, nowhere in this, ver, this uh, prayer, by the way, does it say, um, give me or mine or I, it's us. Which in that already, Jesus is trying to help us have an orientation, not just for our own needs, but for the needs of other people. God, I need bread. He understands that. But I also need to pray that my brother, my sister, my friends have bread too. So it built into it is an orientation towards other people and to pray for it. Now, he also says, not only is it okay for us to come to God with our needs, but there is a balance with it. He doesn't say, um, Jesus, give us cake, right? He says, give us our daily bread. And there is a balance there between our need and our greed, um, but what the point of it is, is that we can come to Jesus with our needs. Now, the next us statement is this. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is an amazing statement because Jesus is saying w- w- that you can come to God and say, wipe out my debts. Cancel them. You have to just stop for a moment and recognize with me, right? That is a pretty audacious prayer, isn't it? That we would come to God and say, you know, all this stuff, all that yucky stuff, I don't want you or anyone else to know about, all these things that I've done, God, wipe it out. Cancel it. That's what the word means. Cancel it. Isn't that an audacious prayer? But it's beautiful, isn't it? That God invites us to come to him and say, I've got this great debt, this great burden. Will you forgive it? Will you cancel it? Will you wipe it away? It's powerful. But not only do we have this, this moment where we can come to God and say, God, will you wipe out, my, wipe out my sin through the work of Jesus Christ, by the way? That's how it happens. You're like, well, that's great. I want to know how it happens. It's through faith in Christ and his work on the cross. He paid for your, the, your sins. We can come to him and say, God, I need my, my sins past, present, and future forgiven. That all is accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. It's fantastic. But then, of course, there's the cook. There's a catch to it. It says, forgive us our debts. As we forgive, we have forgiven our debtors, as we've also forgiven our debtors. This little catch. We're like, okay, God, I want forgiveness for me, but then it's built into the prayer, but I also need to be a forgiver of others. 
And if the as part is that the measure part, you know, if, if you're saying, God, I need you to forgive me as I forgive them, I better be very forgiving towards them because that's how I need you to be with me, right? That's, that's the point that he's making. So then the next part uh, is this in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. So the, the, the idea of into temptation is in the influence of temptation. It's basically this concept of Jesus is saying, it's okay to come to God and say, God, I need your help to guide me. I need your help leading me. Because there's lots of dangers in this world. Lots of dangers that I'm not even aware of. And so I need your help and guidance. There are lots of pits to fall into. Are there not in life? Perhaps you've fallen into a few pits over the course of your time in life. There are lots of pits. And this is a prayer that just simply says, God, will you help me to have the wisdom to see those the strength to, to, to walk around them. Lord, what are those pits that help me to see it? Lead me, guide me in those ways. But it's not just that we need guidance away from the pits, but we also need protection because it's not just that there's pits, but there's people who want to shove us into those pits, aren't there? And so that's the second part of this, this uh, statement, this prayer. But deliver us from the evil one. That is, there's a pit, but there's one who wants to push us in. So he's saying, protect us. Protect us from the evil one. Care for us. Keep us, keep us out of the, of, of, the, of the grip and the, the uh, pressure and the, that comes from those who are around us. And so this is, um, this is part of that prayer. Keep me from the pit. Deliver me from the evil one. And it's okay in this prayer to ask for God's help. There are moments when we get stuck in temptation. There's moments when we get stuck in a pit. There's moments when we're, we're surrounded in, with people who are draw, leading us down a way, and it's okay for us to say, God, help me. I need your help because I'm struggling, I'm falling, I'm stumbling, or I've just been run over, and I need your help. It's okay. And Jesus invites us to come to him and pray in that way. Now, having said all of that, um, then we go to the kind of the final part of the, this, this ch- uh, portion of the Scripture. Jesus teaches on prayer, but then he gives this little kicker verse or two. Then you're like, ugh, why are these there? And it's interesting that so often when God gives us promises in prayer, somewhere near that is this challenge to forgive. And um, this is, uh, so we, to be faithful, we have to look at this part as well. In verse 14, it says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Then verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When I read these two verses, I go, I think I get what he's saying. I get it. Do you get it, what he's saying? If we we want forgiveness, we got to give forgiveness. But I'll tell you, there's lots of people who will look at these verses and say, try to explain how Jesus is not saying what Jesus is saying. That there's got to be some exception that this Jesus really truly couldn't be saying this. But when I read it, it seems pretty clear. Jesus is saying we need to forgive. Right? That's what he's saying. See, he's not only saying that we need to catch the disease of forgiveness— but that we be carriers of forgiveness towards others. Right? That's what we need to be. And that's the point that he's making, that we forgive others. And and he's saying, listen, you, you have to get this, because if you don't forgive others your sins, guess what? Your father will not forgive your sins. Do you get that? 
It's pretty straightforward, right? We love to explain it away, but it's right there. Just imagine you've fallen into a pit and you're stuck there. And uh, fortunately for you, a rescue worker comes by and a rescue worker recognizes you're stuck in the pit and gets some water and some food and starts to lower it down on a rope. And he says to you down there, hey, um, here's some water, some food, some supplies. Um, until we can get you out, we want to make sure that you're cared for, that you're taken care of. Um, but when you get it, will you share with the other people who have fallen in the pit as well? Now, if you yell back up, no way. There's no way I'm going to share food and water with other people in this pit. What do you think that rescue worker is going to do? Now, if it was me, I'd be pulling the rope right back up. And I'd find someone else to lower it down to, right? Because what I'd want is someone who receives the gift, but then also shares the gift with others. That's what God wants for us. He says, if I'm going to give you forgiveness, guess what? I want you to be someone who also gives forgiveness to other people. And I know that as I say that, some of you are saying, but that's hard. That is really hard. And we all know it is, right? We get that. And some of you are saying, but it's not just hard, but it hurts deeply. You don't understand how this person has wronged me. How the, my ex is still uh, just, it's so difficult with them, but also for my children. And listen, I, I, it does, it is hard. And it, and it does hurt. And you're saying, well, it's not just that, but it's, it feels hopeless. If I offer them forgiveness, they won't turn, they won't change. And so it just feels hopeless at the same time. And guess what? I get that too. But you know what? When we step back and say, what did God do for us? Do you think it was hard for him to say, I need to give up my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the sins of the world? It was hard. And when God sent Christ to die on the cross, did it hurt? You bet. It hurt. Because you know what forgiveness is? It's forgiveness is saying, I'm going to pay the price. I'll pay it. That's what forgiveness is. And it hurts when you say, I'll pay the cost. Because I don't, (laughs) you deserve to pay it, but I'll pay it first. I'll pay it. That's the whole point. Jesus on the cross paid for our sins. So it hurt. And then it's like, well, it also, don't you think at some point God says it feels hopeless because so often I'm extending myself out, offering my son, and people still don't seem to want to respond to me. At the same time, God, because of his deep love for us, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for me. It's hard. It hurt. Maybe even felt hopeless for, 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 for in many places of the world, but he did it. He offers it to us. And it just makes sense that we say, if we received it, God, help me to be someone who then distributes it. Right? Okay. Let's take a moment and let's pray together now. As we come into this time of prayer, it really is an opportunity for you to respond, for you to come before God in His presence. And it may be a moment for you just to stop and say, God, yeah, 
when it comes to forgiveness, it is hard. You can, it's okay to let them know that. I'm having a hard time with that. This person, I don't want to forgive. It's hard to say, it's okay to say, God, will you help me? So you're saying, I've been hurt. Here's the cool part about this prayer. God understands. He's a father who wants to care for his children, and you're his child. Say, God, here's my hurt. I need to bring it to you. And if you're in a spot where you just feel hopeless, this is a moment again for you to say, God, I need hope so desperately. Will you give it to me in my life? Whether it's forgiving or just living, I need your hope. You pray, God listens, and he responds. So just following in Jesus' pattern, we just want to pray, God, just for a moment together to a father who's in heaven and just say, God, thank you for being personal and close and yet so powerful that your goodness and your greatness can show up in our life. God, we pray that your reign and rule would be here in our lives and in this world. We pray, Lord, that you would show us what you want and help us to want it just the same. God, we thank you that you've given us all that we have, all the blessings that you know our needs and you're willing to meet them. Please don't stop. Thank you for your grace, Lord, that covers our sins, your grace that offers us forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to be people who extend that grace and that forgiveness to others. God, we thank you that we can come to you. We thank you for teaching us how to pray to a Father who knows and loves and cares. In your name, amen.